Anytime you'd okay. like to start, we're rolling. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of What the Sussed podcast. Um, I'm your host, Gemma, and I am also joined by fellow host, Kemi. And today we're going to be talking about environmental racism. We've got a little interview that we had with the Ingrid Waldron that we're going to share with you. And yeah, so why don't we get into it? Yeah. Oh, I'm so excited for you guys to hear the the interview. But first, we need to start off with what is environmental racism? Gemma, would you like to give us a lovely definition? Yeah, I can do that. So the term was coined by Benjamin Chavez, a civil rights activist who served as executive director and CEO of the NAACP, which is the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People. Whew, nailed that one. And he's an author, a scholar, did I mention an activist? He's a decorated man, and he describes environmental racism as racial discrimination in environmental policy making, the enforcement of regulations and laws, the deliberate targeting of communities of color for toxic waste facilities, the official sanctioning of the life-threatening presence of poisons and pollutants in our communities, and the history of excluding people of color from the leadership of the ecology movements. Damn. So if you are needing things to be simplified, I got you covered. Environmental racism is a form of systemic racism, meaning it's embedded in the laws and regulations within our society. And this is where communities of color reside in close proximity to toxic waste sites, landfills, dumps, etc. These communities then have to deal with the emerging health issues due to these hazardous conditions and these communities are usually considered to be like invisible and aren't heard yeah so does that make sense to you cammy yeah it it does and it frankly sucks (laughs) (laughs) understatement of the year so with that definition like what where are you at is this a new term to you this was a new term for me when I saw that ESS lecture, when they when they showed There's Something in the Water by Ingrid Waldron. Oh, by who? <laughs> by our lovely guest today, Ingrid Waldron. And because um, at that point, like someone who didn't grow up in the continent of North America, I had barely even known what like BLM was. Not like Black Lives Matter for those yeah. unaware of the acronym. And so, like environmental racism, when I first came across the term, to me was like, what on earth do these things have to do with each other? And then after watching the the documentary, I was like, oh, it has a lot to do with each other. <laughs> I think this is incredibly important for everybody to know, because no one deserves to live in a place that is detrimental to their health, because mm-hmm. that, frankly, is it's it's just not okay. And so I'm so glad that this is becoming a more popular thing and a more popular topic Mm -hmm. to actually talk about and address. And we'll talk about it later, but I really hope that the bills are going to pass and that they're going to do, like, real policy change. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Fingers, toes, all of it crossed because um, this is just, like, horrific Mm. that we have so many communities 
uh, within our country and like outside of our country. It's a global issue as well. Incredible. And that's yeah. something that Ingrid does touch on in her book. But enough about like saying her name. Let me tell you who this woman is. Who is Ingrid Waldron? Um, Please tell me. Ingrid, Dr. Ingrid V. Waldron. Damn. <laughs> is the founder and executive director of the Enrich Project. And we're going to talk about Enrich a little bit later. I think Candy has some facts and info to share with you. But she's also the author of There's Something in the Water and producer of the documentary with the same name. Uh, Ingrid has moved to Ontario now and she is teaching at McMaster. But she was able to make some time out of her very busy schedule to sit down and chat with us. Uh, Since we are residing in Halifax and she's in Ontario, the chat definitely had to happen over the phone so you will notice a change in quality but I am so so excited to share with you um the conversation that we had with her Alrighty, roll the clip hi is this Ingrid yes it is this is Gemma and I'm just um one of the girls that was uh chatting with you over email one of the first things that we wanted to know is just um with the success around your book in the documentary we want to know what you would consider like the greatest victory or any significant change that came with the release of the documentary, There's Something in the Water. Well, I would say it's the greater attention to environmental racism across Canada. So in, in the U.S., I've been able to kind of track that just based on now the amount of requests I and the women in the film get just to talk, just to speak about mm-hmm. our experiences. Um, that's just shot way up. I mean, I've I've always had requests to talk, but <laughs> it's uh, it, it it's really a lot now, right? From everywhere. Oh, probably so overwhelming. It's very overwhelming. Um, I thought it would die down. I thought maybe it would die down uh, last year, but just just this year, as school started back again. Um, yeah, tons of requests to to do talks. Um, three three of the women in the film went to Harvard University. I just saw the tweet. Yeah, um, you know things like that. Like it's just it keeps going. The film um, initially was released in 2019 at uh, mm-hmm. for the Toronto International Film Festival, and then and then on Netflix 2020. So you would think it would die down by now, but it really hasn't. Um, so I would say that's it, just more interest, um, by everyone asking for talks, uh, podcasts, interviews, et cetera, uh, like this one. Um, and what else? Well, what, what else I, I'm finding that's really great is that, um, people are like planning, planning events and talks on environmental racism, um, solely on environmental racism and not subsuming the topic under something else like sustainability, uh, which mm-hmm. used to happen. So, you know, when I would get invited to do talks, um, they certainly were interested, but they were squeezing my topic of environmental uh, racism into a larger topic on sustainability, right? So it was really, that was really the focus. Um, what I'm finding now is people are, and when I say people, you know, university professors and others are now um, organizing events solely on environmental racism. So to me, that's huge because that means that there's some kind of legitimacy 
around it now that maybe it didn't have before. Um, yeah. People thought it was a kind of weird term, you know, and they spent a lot of time asking me what it meant. <laughs> and they just thought it was weird. And since some people um, kind of doubted the reality of environmental racism, perhaps because the term, once again, is weird, and they didn't mm-hmm. understand uh, what it meant, you know, they didn't understand the systemic nature of it. I think it's only when I do a talk, I've, I'm given some time to talk about the systemic nature of it, then the term is no longer strange. So those are the wonderful things I would say that, is ha- that has happened, just more opportunities for myself and certainly uh, for the women in the film as well. Okay, yeah. And I, I really do um, appreciate hearing that there is like more of an interest and an awareness around environmental racism and that they're giving like that specific topic a chance to be heard. Um, I do have to say that in, it would have been February of 2020, my first year at Dow, um, I went to like this little panel conference thing at the Schulich School of Law and you were one of the uh, panelists. And that was, I think, right um, before that you shared that um, the documentary was being picked up with Netflix. And I remember going home and, like, doing a deep dive on um, environmental racism in Nova Scotia. I'm originally from the West Coast. And so I wanted to become, like, a part of the community here and learn about some of the experiences of... um, yeah, people so close to my home and close to like where my dad is from and you spearheaded that for me. So I really do like thank you for making time to speak with us because um, like you, I'm gushing talking to you right now and I know that um, my fellow podcasters are like, girl, calm down. Like you have to ease up a bit, but seriously, like you have been so pivotal to so many other women in this community and you did a great job of like uplifting them and giving them their flowers and letting them be a part of it as well. So now that that's out of the way. (laughs) Thank you so much for saying that. Um, And that's one of the things I hope that the film did as well, that it made uh, women feel a bit empowered. It wasn't, Mm -hmm. At first, the direction of the film, um, we were also going to interview Irvin Carberry, um, who is yeah. an Africville descendant. And then I believe Elliot said, uh, let's just make this an all-female film. Let's make mm. it a little bit more feminist. And while, yes, I definitely appreciate that. And I see um, now where he was going, and I look at the film, and I think it just makes sense. I was just really disappointed to lose Irvin because I think, Telling the story of Africville is really important. It's probably one of the first examples of environmental racism in Nova Scotia. And we didn't have enough black uh, African Nova Scotians in the film. So I kind of fought against it. Um, And I I still wish people could have heard from him because he's also a fantastic storyteller. Like when I was in Mm -hmm. Halifax, putting on all the events that I used to put on, on environmental racism, I always invited him to do a talk because he's such a great talker. He's such a great storyteller, yeah. actually. Um, but I look at the film now and I say, yeah, it makes sense. It makes sense. And I could I could see young, well, anyone, but young women specifically looking at the film and thinking, wow, this is empowering. You know, this is inspiring. And that's certainly what I've heard, you know, what I've heard when people have contacted me soon after the film went on Netflix. I heard from 
people around the world saying how empowering and inspiring the women in the film are. So, yeah, that makes me feel really good, and I, I can see where the film is going now. I mean, it just makes sense. Yeah, definitely. And I, I love that you um, were able to give, like, a little shout-out to Africville and um, Urban Carvery. We're actually planning on doing a, a second parter to this episode where we do a deep dive into Africville, and that is a name that I really hope that we can secure chatting with i hope now that we have been able to like chat with you um i can maybe use that as a oh we're we're kind of a big deal like we got to speak with ingrid so please chat with us as well um i do have a question um about allyship and i'm really curious because um the there's something in the water documentary was directed by both elliot page and ian daniel and they are both white individuals who have no experience whatsoever with environmental racism and i'm i i am proud of the work that they did with the film i am just curious if like um if white guilt is a motivator to um activism and helping out like does that change things for you it can be a motivator I didn't, I didn't get that sense from Elliot and Ian. Well, Ian was kind of a latecomer in a way because Elliot just loved my book. It was just that simple. Mm-hmm. She found my book through another book, Joan Baxter, who wrote The Mill about Peak Two Landing First Nation. And through reading Joan's book, she heard about my book and she loved my book. It was just as simple as that. And she was kind of talking it up to Ian Daniel, saying, oh gosh, you got to read this book. And he was like, what are you... You know, he was like rolling, as he told me, he said he was rolling his eyes, wondering why she was making such a big fuss of this topic called environmental racism. It took him a long time to really come on board. I think it's when he, he came up to to Nova Scotia and he met everybody, then he saw something there. Um, so I don't think that's what motivated them, but certainly white guilt does motivate white people to try to address different forms of racism. And to me, it doesn't matter what brings you there. I don't think white guilt is a bad thing, but I think, you know, kind of whatever gets you there. But I think in the end, it's not about your guilt, right? It's about uh, how much are you willing to kind of put on the line and maybe risk and stand out by supporting communities of color or people who are facing discrimination, right? So and I can understand, you know, I understand why somebody would have that white guilt. If I were white, I'd feel the same way. <laughs> oh, yeah. Because, you know, because everything always turns to white people, of course. It's white people's fault. Mm-hmm. Um, systemic racism is all about white people and what they've done to us. And while all of that's true, it's to me natural that one would feel guilt. But it's what you do with the guilt, I, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wholeheartedly agree. At a certain point, move it out of the way because it's no longer about you. Exactly. It takes too much attention. That's right. Yeah. One of my next questions is sort of a personal thing that I've been dealing with, um, at least here at Dalhousie. I can't speak for any other school or any other programs. Um, I stick out like a sore thumb in the in the bulk of my classes. They are very, very white. And it's frustrating navigating, like, this world and then considering what it would be like to enter the sustainable, like, workforce as a black woman. And I'm I'm just wondering, like, how did you make your way through it? Like, how did you make space for yourself? And then do you have any, like, encouragement to other women that might 
also have that interest. Oh, okay. I didn't realize you were black. <laughs> you're you're black and you're a student, so yes, very different positionality than what I had. I'm a professor with a certain amount of privilege, and I took the space. <laughs> no, I took this space. But yeah. I mean, if you read my book, I didn't chase you know um, chase after this project, this topic. It came to me through a white environmental activist who later became my research assistant, who was an activist around environmental racism way before I was, right? So he came to me and he said, I thought you would be really great. I looked at your website. Could you, could you take on a project on this topic? And I said, I doubt it. I said, I don't know anything about environmental issues. So I'm very, very kind of hesitant. But I then decided that this was a great project because I saw a little bit of risk uh, maybe of a, ch- a challenge a bit in doing it. And I realized that ultimately it was about social justice and it was about health and I'm a health researcher. So I took my mm-hmm. space, but not realizing I was taking anything. It was just like, okay, I, I'm interested in doing another project. I had been doing a project on gentrification that was winding down and mm-hmm. I wanted something else that would challenge me. And this seemed reasonable and it was a bit scary now, so I, I took it. It wasn't, you know, because I didn't necessarily ask anybody to give me anything to do this project. I, well, you know, except for funders who gave me grants, right? So yeah. I just kind of built a team around myself, a team of people who were interested, faculty members um, and other individuals, white, black, and, you know, every other color under the sun, built a team and just went out and just decided that I would do it. And at that time, it was an anomaly. You know, I didn't know anybody at Dalhousie doing that work. Tons of Dalhousie professors doing sustainability and environmental science work, you know, on pollution and things like that. But not one person doing what I was doing. And I thought, oh, this is unique. And I feel like I created my own space, which I certainly did, right? For a student yeah. like yourself, it does, none of that matters. I have to say that when I talked earlier about the fact that uh, environmental racism is, racism is getting much more exposure and people are holding events, et cetera. What I've also found is that students have been um, emailing me of all stripes, emailing me from across Canada saying that they want to do their master's degree in environmental racism, which is kind of new. And these are students of all races, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm now in Ontario and I realize as well that when it was while it was very difficult to kind of engage black students in my project, um, there's so many black people in Ontario doing this work on environment, mm-hmm. which shocked me. But I couldn't really get black students, students other than white students, to engage in any of my projects. And you know, people have said, well, you know, that's not because they necessarily don't like the topic of environmental racism. I don't know to this day what the reason is. Um, but that was very difficult for me. I'm here in Ontario, and it's like a new world. I'm, I'm saying to myself, oh, so black young people are interested in this. You know, I didn't know that. So um, this is opening up for black people. It's going to open up for you. You're not going to be an anomaly. <laughs> so keep going. Do what you love. Don't worry about what other people think. Or being, at some point, all of us black black folks are stick out. You know, I'm in spaces where I stick up because of environmental racism. I'm in spaces where I go to events uh, with other people doing work in the environment, and I'm the only black person that happens recently. I, I, I picked up an award for my work. I went to downtown Tor- Toronto 
and in the room were mostly young uh, white men doing startups and lots of white women. I was the only black person in the room. Uh, and there yeah. were some people of color as well. I didn't feel uncomfortable. You know, I was picking up an award because somebody noticed that what I was doing within which and wanted to give me an award for it, right? So at times I like being different. I've always kind of been like that. I like sticking out. I like being mm-hmm. different. So enjoy being different, but also know that the space um, is opening up for you, definitely. Yeah, well, thank you for that. Like, thank you so much. And thank you for like the contributions that you have made to allow it to open up like that. Um, oh, this is such a surreal moment for me. So again, thank you so much for your time and for answering these questions. Um, there's a, oh yes. Um, there's a section in your book that I just want to touch on quickly. I think it's in the first chunk and, uh, the quote is state sanctioned racial and gendered violence is subtle, invisible, and often has no specific person who can or will be held responsible in contrast to interpersonal violence where a main perpetrator can be identified. And woof, that is, that is the truth. Um, how do you think that we should like sit with that? Uh, how we should sit with it? Mm-hmm. And like, I guess since I'm so satisfied with your last answer and encouragement, um, if you have any words of advice or encouragement to share to like this specific issue. What's well, kind of, um, it's about systemic and institutional racism versus the direct and interpersonal harms, right? So mm-hmm. IPV or intimate partner violence, et cetera, is about the harms that individuals do to one another uh, directly. Um, environmental racism is about systemic inequities that's often very difficult to see and detect, which is why when I started the work, people didn't understand Mm -hmm. what I was doing. They didn't understand the term. They thought it was strange. And once I was given time during talks to talk about the systemic nature of environmental racism, then people's heads start to nod, right? So um, in terms of how we should sit with it, we should sit with it in the same way that we sit with other forms of racism. So when I say that environmental racism is systemic, it's systemic because of the laws or policies that are developed within departments of environment that create those harms. Similarly, when we look at systemic discrimination in in the educational system, in the health system, in employment, uh, it's the same. It's about those decision makers, uh, policy makers who create decisions uh, that are handed down and that impact people on the ground. So to me, everything starts with policy. So the way you should sit with that, this form of racism and any other form of racism is that we need to kind of get into those spaces. Um, policy is where it's at, right? We need to start to see people who look like you and me and who look like, who are indigenous as well, who are interested in getting into those spaces because really those are the spaces that actually create the change, right? If you're not in that, the, well, there are other ways to do it. Certainly I'm doing it in other ways as well. I mean, you could do it that way and do research and become a professor and do that as well. Mm-hmm. But if you're really trying to get, which I think you are, get into the field of environment, then that should be your goal. I would hope it would be your goal if it interests you. Once again, you should only do what you're, you're interested in. Yeah. But that's where change happens. 
at the policy level. Those are the individuals who I said in the book that race is inscribed within policy, and it is in very, very subtle ways, right? And the policymakers aren't always aware that the policies that they create are harmful specifically uh, to racialize and, gen- and people who are gendered as well, uh, who, are, who sit at the intersection of race and gender in very specific ways. So that's the key. We have to, as black folks and people of color, indigenous people, want to see ourselves in that place at the policy level. Yes. Well, thank you. Thank you for that uh, eloquent answer as well. Um, In the best interest of time, I will try and wrap this up. But um, we're kind of wanting to know, unfortunately, we lost you. You're no longer in Halifax. How is Ontario treating you? And what sort of projects are you working on like right now? What can we expect from you? Yeah, well, I really miss uh, Dalhousie and uh, Nova Scotia. I loved it when I was there. But, I, you know, I got a uh, kind of different opportunity that I wanted uh, to take. And my plan actually was always to return to Ontario. So, but, I, you know, I'm, I'm just finding it exciting um, because there are a lot more opportunities. I, I would say that um, I've kind of gotten into the climate change field. I didn't do very much on climate change. I think I did one workshop in Shelburne on climate change when I was in Halifax. And uh, I've gotten much more into climate change since I've left. I've I've kind of recognized that, you know, this is an important issue. And I was kind of not, I was ignoring it while I was in Halifax. So I received um, recently a grant from McConnell Foundation to conduct a project on climate change preparedness in black communities in the greater Toronto area. I'm going to start that uh, soon. I'm also doing another project on the inclusion of environmental issues in black communities into the school curriculum in Windsor, Essex, in Ontario. Pardon me? I said, oh, wow. Everything starts in the curriculum. So, you know, when students like yourself, probably not in the classroom learning what you want to learn, you're not learning it from teachers who look Mm -hmm. like you. Um, all that starts in the classroom. So I was approached by, by somebody who's connected to the school board about whether mm-hmm. or not uh, I, would, I would do a project with him. And we have some funding to look at the curriculum um, at the Windsor-Essex School Board, look at the extent to which black environmental issues um, like climate change in black communities and uh, environmental racism in the curriculum and we are doing a project to try to, well, he says it's not, <laughs> it's not. So we try, we're doing a project to try to change that, to try to get these issues specific to black folks into the high school curriculum. Wow, and nice. um, continuing some projects through Enrich, you know, we're doing a webinar series next week yeah. on a very different topic on products that you use at home. Uh, whether it's, you know, skin care or hair dyes mm-hmm. or straighteners, there are real health, negative health effects from products and, and personal care products. So we're doing a series of three webinars starting next week, Wednesday, on that particular topic, which is a big kind of shift from what I do typically. But I have some folks around me who have been supporting this work and they wanted to see it happen. So, um, yeah, it's a fresh, it's fresh for me in, in many ways. I, yeah. I, I've never done this work, but it's a different, I see there's a different aspect of environmental racism. It's, all, it's almost like environmental racism, but it's, it's happening in the home, right? It's happening mm-hmm. in the home rather than out in communities necessarily. So, 
I'm very excited about that. I hope it's a success. And I continue to look for other, you know, other projects um, to do in kind of unique ways because I feel at this stage I've done so much that uh, it's sometimes a challenge to come up with ideas that are new yeah. uh, and fresh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I really do look forward to seeing what's to come with Enrich. Um, I That's actually an interest of mine as well. Like all of the hidden toxins that we are consuming and dealing with every day. So I really do look forward to see what's going to come out of that. Um, one of my fellow podcasters is to the right of me and she has this question that she would love to be asked so I will be asking it for her um out of all of your accomplishments what brought you like the greatest sense of pride what means the most to you well I it's I don't know if I I didn't answer it but I would say it's the Enrich Project because the Enrich Project is what led to the documentary the Enrich Project is what led to the book um my my time in Halifax was wonderful on a personal level, but professionally also wonderful. But the professional kind of crossed into the personal uh, because the Enrich Project almost became like my life. You know, I think people there, um, they thought Ingrid Waldron, they thought environmental racism. You know what I mean? Like it yeah. became like that, which isn't a problem for me. But I don't know. It meant so much to me. It meant so much to me to do it where I did it, which was in Nova Scotia. And mm-hmm. to kind of sit back and see that this topic with this funny term kind of got the exposure that it needed is just makes me feel great. And, and certainly not with everyone, but it's a term that's recognizable now that people understand it and that people mm-hmm. are interested in it when they weren't interested in it. And there were times when I was a little down thinking that there was no interest. Um, but um, I see kind of where, where, where it is now. And, mm-hmm. and that happened for me. I'm not saying that that uh, environmental racism wasn't being addressed before I arrived or, and, you know, it's going to continue to be addressed. And I wasn't the first one. I'm certainly not saying I was the first one, but I'm saying certainly in my experience, just looking at yeah. my life, sitting back and watching how it grew in front of me is kind of thrilling, you know, that I was able to take this little term and make it something that was meaningful to me, mm-hmm. to my life and to my professional yep. life. Yeah. It's kind of inextricably tied, you know? Yeah. I've never felt that in any job I've had. I've never felt that sense of commitment and pride professionally than when I was doing that work, when I was doing it there. It can't be recreated in Ontario because that was the fir- you know, first time I did it and it, that would be, yeah. be unique. But uh, I will continue the work, but it's special. It's special specifically because I did it in Nova Scotia at that particular time. Oh, I'm so glad that you were able to have um, that like meaningful victory and that it's connected to like Nova Scotia as well. Wow, I, I'm so excited to hear of all the developments you've got going on. Again, I'm just like <laughs> beaming at the fact that I had the chance to speak with you. Um, that does wrap up all of our questions we had prepared for you. I do have a personal 
question, um, sort of. How many times have you been asked to provide a definition to environmental racism? That's a good one. <laughs> that is such a good one. And I'm very patient because I could see somebody else would just, you know, lose it. Yeah. <laughs> Over a million times. I mean, um, I'm asked to do that for mm. presentations. I am by everybody, and I'm always patient because I said, well, you know, that this is the first time that they're hearing this mm-hmm. definition. You can't be angry to kind of explain uh, a topic that you've been working on, a project that you've been working on yeah. for quite some time, because there are always going to be people, new people, who don't understand the term, and you've got to bring them with you in many ways. So that in- includes defining that strange term. So I can say to you a lot. but less so less so um than when i started certainly in nova scotia when i started journalists Mm -hmm. and just random people would constantly ask me to define it and an indication that there was more recognition of environmental racism is the fact that as the years went on when i was in halifax and nova scotia that lessened significantly you know to a point where i very rarely got that question so that kind of tells me that, um, you know, it was the term was out there, certainly. Yeah, it's growing. People are starting to grasp it and understand it. So, oh, well, I, I know I was doing a bit of research on, like, former interviews that you've been a part of. And I was like, whew, this lady has so much patience <laughs> because that question came up a lot. So, Well, yes, yes. Because it's a strange term, but, you know, it's interesting that it's such a small term, a strange term. When you unravel it, there's so much contained within it. So when I sit down for a talk and I just kind of unravel it, then people start to nod and they start to get it. So I think in a way it's a good term because it attracts people uh, to it in many ways or to wanting to understand what it is because it's so strange. And then when you unravel it with you know, a description about its systemic nature, then I think it engages people. You know, they want to know more. Well, thank you again for your time and for all of your insight. I seriously, like, from the bottom of my heart, thank you for sitting down and chatting with this little student podcast. (laughs) No problem. Yeah, it was a pleasure. It was a pleasure. Seriously, thank you so much. And good luck, good luck with your future careers. I hope it's yes, in the environment. Yes, thank you. I hope so as well. And it sounds like there's a lot up and coming in Ontario, so I might have to make my way there. <laughs> All you need to do is go onto the LinkedIn page, you know, go and maybe sign up if you're not signed up and um, register. And that's how I, I notice this is that I'm on LinkedIn and I see so many young black people doing environmental projects and they're running environmental organizations like Mm -hmm. it's not only in Ontario it's also you know um, elsewhere but uh, there's lots of it in Ontario so I think there's lots of opportunities incredible well thank you so much for the insight and I will definitely be keeping my eyes peeled thanks again Ingrid no problem you're welcome bye-bye take care bye-bye Oh, that little note of like good luck with your future careers. Like it's so I'm sweet. in a slump right now with my degree and I am I am really struggling. But that was the motivation and just the encouragement that I needed. Like I just sat down and chatted with Ingrid. I How know. Cool that? You were also there. I had a set of headphones on and we decided that it would be a lot easier if it was a kind of one woman show. 
And Cammy was pressed up right against, like, um, hear the answers. Just desperately trying to listen to everything that she was saying. <laughs> oh, what a great call. What a great, what a great woman. Um, it was amazing. You've got some stuff you need to share, though. Yeah. So I really want to talk about two little things. So, well, they're not little. They're actually incredibly enormous projects and really, like, influential. Okay. So... She is the executive director of the Enrich Project, and she mentioned this when she was talking about what made her really proud and how it was kind of like her baby, and it's the Environmental Noxiousness, Racial Inequalities, and Community Health Project, and it's super dope. So it's a collective community-based research and engagement project on environmental racism in Mi'kmaq and African Nova Scotian communities, and it is essentially a massive resource where people can look at like environmental racism, like literally like on a map. Like it was, if I understand correctly, a good basis of how even the documentary was able to be made and how like it, it just informed all of the research and just cause like people would say, Oh, that doesn't really happen. But the enriched project, she could literally take the data and be like, you are wrong. There is a Here pattern. Yeah. Here are the receipts. We need to do something about it. And then that's when, like, people were like, oh, okay, this is an actual problem. We need to look into it. And then the second thing that I really, really, really wanted to look into um, and talk about is the bills. So when I say bills, I mean, like, literal legislative bills. And so she has had, like, a really heavy hand in writing a provincial one and a federal one. So... The provincial one is called the Environmental Racism Prevention Act, Bill 111. So when she first started trying to get some kind of legislative policy action kind of on a governmental level and less, like, less grassroots but also, like, top-down mm-hmm. because they both need to work together to actually do something. So it was essentially, it's a private member's bill, and it, she essentially submits this with certification from yeah. the legislation office. And right now, I think it's gone through its second reading, mm-hmm. but kind of it looks like it's going to be passed, hopefully. So like all the research and evidence is clear from the Enrich Project, right? Mm-hmm. So this bill is centered around setting up a Black, Acadian, and First Nation origin panel to assess, report, and give recommendations to ministers in for, like, their actions and what to do. And it's essentially trying to empower disenfranchised groups to actively try and prevent and reverse environmental racism. How cool is that? Yeah, that's legendary. And so where where are we at currently with Bill 111? So far, it hasn't gone through the House of Commons, neither has the other one. But they're they're going through the process. It seems like there's some updates on it. I think it's it's still going through the process. Like the process is incredibly slow. Oh yeah. So and especially when it involves the um, well being of black and brown, like racialized. Folks. Yeah, and like this is a completely new area too for policy and legislation. So like it makes sense that they need to like iron some things out, especially if they need to include budget yeah. for three individuals to carry out their jobs. Mm-hmm. Like there's good reason that it's slow, but it's progressing and it, I'm really happy about that. All right. Well, tell us a bit about the federal bill. Woo. Alrighty. So the federal bill is called 
and national strategy to readdress environmental racism, otherwise known as Bill C-230. So, with the Enrich Project, it, like, really informed the provincial side, but now we need something for the entirety of Canada, right? Because there's a lot of data that we don't know about. So this one is kind of like two steps. The details may change as it goes through different readings in the House of Commons, but essentially it's a two-pronged bill, where first it's to investigate and identify instances of environmental racism. Mm -hmm. So just first finding where the hotspots are, and then it's to measure what can be taken to advance environmental justice, to assess, prevent, and address environmental racism. So it's finding it and addressing it Mm -hmm. on a national level, which is also freaking amazing. If this passes, this could be an absolute game changer Because from what I understand, it's the only line of defense that these communities have against environmental racism other than their own kind of fights against it and their own awareness. Yeah, and I I guess, like, one of the things that I found most exciting about, like, one of the recent developments that she's, one of the projects that she's currently working on, is bringing, like, this into the curriculum. And um, that's just remarkable. It's really, really important, like, because the more people know about it, the more that people will just be on board from the get-go, because you don't have to go through the, much like how she said she defined environmental racism a million times, because people just don't know about it, and if you have to go through the process of educating first and then getting people on board, Mm -hmm. it's a lot easier if people are already familiar with the subject. Exactly. Well, and especially if you look at, like, within Halifax, like, African villas are, it is in our backyard, front yard, depending where you live, and there are so many people that aren't familiar with that example. Yeah. So, all the power to Ingrid. I Mm -hmm. am rooting for her. I've been rooting for her for a few years now. And, like, bro, I was able to chat with her. It's How sick. Um, It's so awesome. And I am... I love seeing black success stories, especially in, like, the sustainability field. Just seeing that she's fighting the good fight. Yeah. All the power to you, Ingrid. Thank you again for chatting with us. Thank you so much. We're going to pick up where we left off after the break. Hey, you know what time of year it is. The shortest month of the year, also known as Black History Month. And I want to direct you to some pretty cool events that are happening this month. There's an event by the African Heritage Month called Black Family Hair Matters, a hair show and celebration on Tuesday, the 28th, 2023, from 6.30 p.m. to 8.30 at the Woodlawn Public Library. Next up, we've got the seventh edition of the Halifax Black Film Festival, and this is from February 24th to 28th. So while we covered a decent amount of ground with this episode, um, I'd like to share some more uh, ways for you to gather a better understanding about environmental racism and get more context. Dr. Robert Bullard is um, also known as the father of environmental justice, 
and I would definitely recommend you check out his book Dumping in Dixie and be sure to check out the ESS lecture series. They've posted all of the lectures online on Vimeo and you can find the one that he shared. I think it's from 2017, 2018. And then of course, um, plugging Dr. Waldron's book, There's Something in the Water and the documentary with the same name. Uh, great places to start. This is a conversation that needs to continue going. It's not just a one and done kind of thing. So yeah, I really do encourage you to check out some of those other resources. And if you're interested in reading the bills, you can read them online and you can find their status. And I hope to, I'm going to be keeping an eye on them, to be quite honest with you. Alrighty. Well, thank you so much for listening. This episode was written by us, your hosts, and presented by the College of Sustainability. And you can find us on Instagram at WhatTheSustPod, and our TikTok is at WhatTheSust. Thanks again for listening. Um, we love the support. We love knowing that you guys are out there. And yeah, happy Black History Month. Bye! Bye!